0: I think that with technology evolving at this pace, human is still where it used to be. So the gap between what we can take and the technology keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's true, like new generation are faster and smarter, but we still have the limit of being just humans while the technology is growing exponentially. So I totally see that gap becoming bigger and bigger. The human center approach of approaching technology and making things like accessible for people and understandable for different ranges of people, wherever is their background and their tech literacy, I think it's going to become very, very important. What I'm really scared about is that we leave a lot of people behind if we don't start thinking about bridging this gap very intentionally. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly.
1: Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Sara Mikalazu, Head of Customer Experience for TechOps at ThoughtWorks. Now I've known Sarah for a number of years. We worked together at ThoughtWorks. She's also a design advisor at Nobody Studios, corporate partnership advisor for CryptoChicks, the first women-only NFT amateur collection, and an advocate for women in tech, cryptos, NFTs, and a mom. We worked together on our first project at ThoughtWorks, which was trying to create six new business ideas for British Airways over 12 weeks. It was a fabulous experience. She's gone on to do amazing things and continues to astound me with her skills. But before we get started, Let's talk a little bit about her inspiration for how she got into technology.
0: I've always been attracted to art. My father was an art dealer, so I grew up in a house full of painting and statues. I studied the conservation of contemporary art at university, and I've never had imagined a career in technology until he got sick. And when he got diagnosed with terminal stage cancer, he was unable to work. And I felt very, very helpless. There wasn't much I could do. So I taught him how to use eBay and I built him an e-commerce website. At the time, it was very difficult. It took weeks and I had to learn to code. But then the fact that he was able to continue to work on his passion and looking at him playing again and selling art, that was one of his favorite things in the world, really paid off the effort. So... I think that was the turning point where I started to see that I've never been a super fan of technology for technology's sake, but more about the all the opportunity that technology brings to empower people and allow them to do things that they couldn't do before and connect them in new, meaningful ways. So that was my turning point to go from art to tech career. I started attracted by the visual side of things because I've always had this eye for art, but then I got more interested in how do we empower people that's experience design? And then how do we empower team to empower people with technology? And that is how I see leadership in technology.
1: Well, there's nothing really more powerful than, you know, helping your dad as an artist create his own online e-commerce site and then bring so much good, happy energy back into his life during such a difficult time. That must have been a pretty special experience, but also I imagine a tough experience because you're dealing with the hard sit of your family or your parent being ill, but at the same time, you're trying to find a way to help them and learn a new skill at the same time. So, how has those types of experience helped you today when you're like building products for businesses all over the world? You know, you and I are already trying to build. Products like a crazy amount of them in nobody studios, you're working in NFT teams, like with crypto chicks, and really just shaping a whole new domain and learning as you go. So, well, how has that really helped you sort of embrace uncertainty, be comfortable and curious to try new things? How have you sort of built that capability in yourself?
0: I remember like the experience of sitting next to him, trying to teach him how to use eBay and I just could see all the, how the technology was getting in the way of what he, he really wanted to do. He had no technology background. And I think that there is where I really understood the power of like intuitive products or the concept of making things simpler for users. The other thing that most people don't understand, even uh, some of my fellow designers is that we design for 100% of attention. He was under drugs most of the time. So even the fact that it seems simple for someone, I think we should design things for 50% of the attention with all the stuff that we have going on. So that is or even raising the bar for how we should be designing products.
1: I love this concept. Like you say, your father's situation is unique in itself based on his situation, the medication and managing that. And even just our world, how the attention economy idea, right? where even when I'm doing a podcast, I've got to turn off my phone, I've got to turn off all the notifications on my things, I've got to kill Slack. I've got like 25 things beeping constantly as I'm trying to just get works done. And then context switching then becomes, it almost starts to become part of the game. How many browser tabs do I have open? Well, I can tell you, I've got probably about 37. They're all segmented by windows for every different project I'm working on. I've got a window and it's got about seven tabs on it, and I've got five of those. And is it just crazy what we're doing here? Like is that the way the world is going to continue to work, or what do you think we should be designing for? You know you're doing some really fascinating work, specifically in the world of data and the program that you're working on recently. So what do you feel like is the sort of future? maybe of design and data, and maybe more importantly, what have you had to unlearn along the way that has helped you be successful and but also learn your way through some of that?
0: I think that with technology evolving at this pace, human is still where it used to be. So the gap between what we can take and the technology keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's true, like new generation are faster and smarter. But we still have the limit of being just humans while the technology is growing exponentially. So I totally see that gap becoming bigger and bigger. The human-centered approach of approaching technology and making things like accessible for people and understandable for different ranges of people, wherever is their background and their tech literacy. I think it's going to become very, very important. What I'm really scared about is that we leave a lot of people behind if we don't start thinking about bridging this gap very intentionally.
1: Let's dive into one example that's top of mind for you. So you and I both worked, our first met together when we worked at ThoughtWorks, um, which is like a global IT consultancy. And your role has evolved in many ways, right? When we first met, we were, working with International Airlines Group and British Airways, trying to build on six new products in 12 weeks. Pretty fun. It, like we got to travel between London, Barcelona and Madrid. Not not bad places to spend three months trying to build products for different regions, countries and globally. Was super fun. I had a blast doing it with you. But at the moment, you've actually been in something really fascinating is like trying to help people understand data and the way it can be leveraged and trying to not just have it be a technology play, but actually bringing a lot of your design and thinking skills to that realm. So can you share a little bit about some of the challenges and exp- a little bit about the project even that you've been involved in and what have been some of your unlearning moments along the way or just observations about that?
0: The project was about bringing a thought to become data-led company. I believe almost every company you ask to want to become like data led, data informed, data empowered, however they want. Data
1: driven. Don't forget data driven.
0: <laughs> data driven. Yep. So Totor's first attempt to bring data thinking to the work started many, many years ago before I was involved. And they built a very successful in-house application called GoFigure. The application became very popular and successful, but then as thought words became bigger, like for example, today we have over ten thousand employees worldwide. It wasn't working anymore. We needed to reevaluate our approach to data. So a few years ago, we introduced business intelligence tool. Again, I think this is very relatable to many other companies. And what business intelligence tool do is to make easier to build dashboards. So you end up having thousands of dashboards, but it's very difficult then to attach the data effort, you have all those things that build dashboard to the actual value of this data, how those data are really empowering the people that need to do the job. In our case is our business stakeholder. So I'm part of the Dotor's IT department that we call TechOps. So we empower all the functions of the business to run the business. There was a little bit of euphoria after we introduced the the new business intelligence tool, but then people started to go back to their old ways. That mean our previous project or to Spreadsheet. Spreadsheet is our competitor still in uh, 2022.
1: I think Excel Um, must be the greatest product ever made. Really? There's like nothing you can do in it. Nobody can build an Excel killer product no matter what they do. I still remember like one of the projects we were working on when we were in ThoughtWorks actually where it was for a huge retailer. But they also sold petroleum as part of, you know, a lot of big shopping markets have like petrol pumps. And they ran their whole liquidity of every single price petrolling across the whole of like one of Europe's largest countries on a spreadsheet. There had no data. It was like someone would copy and paste and change the things. And this is like 1000000 dollars spreadsheet that would be just sitting on someone's desktop and they wouldn't put it into a system. It's amazing what you're saying resonates so much. So many people, the pursuit of business intelligence and dashboarding and data is one thing, but what the hell do you do? It is another. And especially when you build a product that actually works, right? That gets traction. What have been some of the interesting things? Like, not to say you're not a technologist, but your forte, as you say, is very much growing up in art and design and product led thinking. And ThoughtWorks is a strong engineering culture, very strong engineering culture. So what were some of the, interesting twists and turns for yourself to actually make that transition into a very deep tech role, having previously been in more of a design and product role.
0: I had a lot of it like imposter syndrome at the beginning when I was trying to be heavy on the tech part. And then I just accepted the fact that I had a lot of strength on the other side. And that was very, very much needed because it's even rare in the environment where I am in. So usually when I work with technologist is maybe there is one designer or product manager and we have six engineers, business (laughs) analysts. So I was like, yeah, if I don't bring my point of view, maybe nobody will. So I it started to grow into me to be comfortable with asking them the simple question like, will people understand this? How are they gonna use it? Have you thought about their data literacy? Have you talked to them? Using this the simplest plain language of experience. and I realized that a lot of design thinking and product strategies apply really well, technology, but also to the data space, because at the end of the day is always, how are you empowering people and what they're going to do with it.:
1: It's fascinating, right? I totally agree with you. We actually had Shema Ali on the show probably a couple of months ago where she's talking about data mesh as well. And this notion of trying to encapsulate data as a product into products as well. So how other people use your services and thinking about the consumers of your data as a product in itself. And to me, that concept that and that principle is actually super fascinating, right? I think it's a huge part of designing great systems is that you need product thinking everywhere, right? Whether it's your, people outside the business and how they're going to use it, building internal tools as you're describing for tech ops and how people are going to use it, add the data in itself and how it's captured and stored, thinking of other people have to consume it through APIs. I just think it's such a powerful mindset that many people still miss, right? I think they still see data problems or technologists' problems to solve. You need data science people to crunch numbers where... They missed the whole user and customer experience piece and the product piece, which I think means a lot of these products aren't adopted as you, it sounds like you were experiencing and seeing that and always outnumbered, but never outgunned against these engineers. You know, you actually came up with some really interesting ways to building a framework to do this. So tell us a little bit about what was the aha moment for your recognizing this pattern and then starting to be able to share it with people through frameworks.
0: So I think the winning move was trying to get them on my side, trying to see things the way I see them. So to do that, I use some like branding and marketing techniques. So we launched this program and we called it data awesome. And the idea was that we wanted to shift the mindset from thinking beyond data and dashboard to think about people. So the mantra was make everyone data awesome. And this comes from one of my favorite design book from Katie Sarah called Badass, where she explored the concept of upgrading users and not product. A sentence that she said that really stuck with me is that people don't buy better cameras because they want a, a new camera. They just want to be better photographer. And I think that this applied really well to our dashboard problem. People don't, don't care about the data for data's sake. We need to empower them to do something better. This means that our uh, teams don't need to build better dashboards. They need to build better data users. And this is what we call data awesome. I also encouraged teams to start using a new terminology that we could all use to measure experiences around data. So we started to talk about like data frustration. So data frustration is when your experience with data is below expectation and you can diagnose it because there are symptoms like your users feel like they are wasting time and energy and they feel overwhelmed. And then there is also data delight that is when the data experience exceeds expectation because the users feel empowered to complete what they set up to do in a better way that they couldn't do before. So um, all this language really created a shift in the mindset. So from just looking at dashboard to beyond. And then I think the cherry on top was to introduce a very simple six steps framework that can be done as a post-it exercise. And it's really not rocket science. So number one, understand the audience understand who you are designing for and where they are starting from what is their data literacy are you designing a dashboard for our chief data officer or are you designing a dashboard for our for example staffing team then second the jobs to be done what job those people are trying to do third map what question they need to answer to get the job done fourth find the answer this seems pretty simple, but the reality that usually with data people start with the data that's available and they put it in front of people rather than starting from the other side that is what questions those people need to answer to get the job done It's
1: such a great point. You reminded me of so many fun stories actually. one of the companies first of all, data projects that I worked on, but I really felt like like we were using some really cool technology like no SQL databases and starting to play around with algorithms was was actually in the UK at ThoughtWorks where uh, it was a company called Just Giving, who were like one of the leading charity donation websites uh, in the UK, and you know they had reams and reams of like data, right? Everyone's contributions to charities or funds that they had raised. They even do the London Marathon. It's this huge, big fundraising event for them, one of the largest probably there is. And so many people's inclination to start off was just to like put, randomly pull data out and look at it and try and mystically understand what was happening. And I think one of the biggest aha moments for me was one of our colleagues there, Shook, who was sort of like, he just said the same thing, that the thing you need to ask is the question you want to find out. What's the thing you want to learn? And then we start to actually dig in and figure out, can we get the information to help you discover that? And that was probably one of my biggest learning moments in just my whole experience of even understanding what's possible with data. Because so many people started from looking at what they have and then trying to sense make it, rather than this point of view you're describing is like asking questions and then seeing if you have the information to answer them. And I think it's such a subtle thing, but it's really, really powerful.
0: Agree. <laughs> and when you have the answer, you just don't put them all in the dashboard in front of the user. You actually organize them in a flow, in a data journey that unveil the answers in a way that makes sense to the user.
1: That's a really interesting idea, because to me, then it's almost like going back to storytelling and narrative. Like when you go to a movie they don't end with the punchline of the story, right? There has to be a journey that you have to bring people on, that they get the context about what's going on and how things happen. And it's almost like, you know, the story has to unfold. So explain a little bit more about a data journey, or even maybe give me an example of one that you used in Go Figure that helps people sort of understand and lets the story unfold really through the data.
0: Uh, Very simply, what I encourage our teams to do is to organize information in this way. So you want to go to one of those dashboards and answer one simple question. Do you have a problem? If the answer is no, probably you don't need to spend more time on the dashboard. If the answer is yes, yes, you need to spend more time on the dashboard and you need to go to base two. Base two is understand where your problem is. So the top of our dashboard should always lead you to understand one simple (laughs) thing. Do you have a problem or not? If you have a problem, the second part of the dashboard should help you to identify where the problem is, in what area. And then once you identify the area, you can do some diagnosis. And when we can really push it far, we can also help you to do the risk mitigation. For example, show you where the problem is and connect these to the solution. For example, add the links to go at solve it, basically.
1: Bring it to life to me then. It's like what's an example you that quite recently of that sort of data journey that you would go through? Like give me an example of a problem that someone might have on a dashboard that you're working on and how it sort of unfolds for them.
0: So for example, carbon footprint. We measure carbon footprint for the organization. So at the top, we want to see if we are within the range that we set up for us as safe to be in. If we are not, you want to understand in which areas of the globe we are out of range. And then we, you want to check in which projects we can do better. For example, changing our cloud providers or things like this. And then you can drill down to contacting the person in that project that can help you to understand more so this is the kind of journey we're talking about going from do i have a problem to you're guiding me to find a solution
1: yeah no that's fascinating it's a great example too as well as an organization where you're measuring your co2 emissions or carbon footprints or and then like that story of like then starting to drill in deeper and deeper well as a company, if we're doing it, well, what part of our company are we doing it? What department of that, what part, that part of that be, what team, right down to the individual? I think that's really fascinating to build systems that people can start to dig down at that level.
0: I took this storytelling course and basically my teacher only said two words. So what? Everything I was saying, <laughs> so what? And then I think the, about this every time I put together the information. Like you put with the first piece of information, and then so what? So, what can you do with that? What is the next step? And then you add another piece of information, and then so what? Until you're able to close the cycle and actually help people to get things done.
1: Yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, what have been some of the outcomes then from like teaching this framework to people? And you've written a fantastic blog that I'll, I'll put in the show notes for people to go and like look at the framework in more detail. Tell me a little bit more about like what started to happen as a result of like teaching people these frameworks, these data like data journeys, the asking great questions, the jobs to be done aspect of it. Like what surprised you about how people have sort of took with it and run with it even more?
0: So what was really, really I think funny is that people started to refer to the program, our data journey as before and after the data awesome program. So that was a really, really strong sign that that mindset shift had happened. So business stakeholders were really engaged in the process. And as a consequence, the engagement of the dashboard went up. And also the teams were having a lot of fun with the new approach. And they wanted to learn this approach. Uh, so badly that we got, uh, we had to start a training and then I couldn't scale. So we recorded a self-paced course and we're having a lot of people going through the training. And also some of our clients are interested in uh, this very, very simple approach.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. because This is one of the biggest problems you can have. It's like actually people understanding their data, interpreting it and actually doing something useful with it, right? But I love the idea of the data journey as well. It's like helping people design an experience that they go through and are learning questions to ask at different stages, how to drill down, what's the right amount of information to expose as you're going through your story, I think is a really powerful lesson for people.
0: To be honest, we haven't nailed it yet. Like there's still a lot more work that needs to be done. But I feel like we are approaching the challenges with the right mindset. One quote with that from our CIO was that the data program has allowed world class engineer to be used via a world class user experience. And I think that the fact that finally user experience is a first class citizen alongside engineering is a massive success.
1: Yeah, it has to be. These are all great examples of mindset shifts, especially when you're in engineering, heavy or rich cultures, or you're working in projects that initially have been perceived to be quite data science specific, right? And all the PhDs digging around in these like data lakes or data oceans or whatever you want to call them this week. But I think this power again of bringing cross-functional teams of user experience and design and engineers together to like work on these problems. But I love that you also brought in these ideas of branding, naming something, giving it a name and identity about a shift in mindset, using storytelling and experience design to help people go on journeys. I think that's the best thing about great products, right? There's like different levels when you join. A product for the first time and you're a naive user and you learn some skills and you get better and better and better and really what people want is that the teams can educate themselves and that they can source the information that they want themselves and the tools really just support them just one of the reasons why excel is so great there's formulas that are like get you started that you can sort of be dangerous but there's quantum traders that use spreadsheets to model alphas before they launch them in the market because the tools are so simple but can be made more complicated that they can level up and do all sorts of things with them. So there's a real fun analogy people there to think about. So for anyone who's trying to get started on one of these types of programs, what would be your advice to them about getting started, getting more people involved? What would you do differently actually if you were going to start this program again?
0: When I started, I was terrified because I was no data expert. And I realized later that they had plenty of data experts. What they were lacking was some people that could bridge that gap between how human can get empowered by technology. So I think more people into the mix with a diverse background in design, product. And the other thing is that I would push back a lot harder on data visualization. I love data visualization, but the biggest problem I found was that every time I said design and data in the same sentence, people thought that what I was doing was visualization.
1: That's fascinating, actually, to sort of riff on that one a tiny little bit, actually, because we're so programmed like that, in a way. When people think... The experience, I think that's why the data journey is so resonant for me when I hear you talk about that, because yes, there's one way to present information when you gather it, but the experience of understanding and seeing the data and making sense to you is another huge part of it. So share a little bit more there.
0: Data visualization is certainly important but it is very reductive to, from what we were trying to do because we were not just deciding what graph to use but we were working with business stakeholders to understand the question that the business needed to answer and this resulted into prioritizing the data work so basically adding new sources adding new sources to collect new data that we're not capturing today. This is the sort of outcome that you get when you're doing research. You don't get this with data visualization. The output of data visualization is improving how you visualize the existing data. While we were looking for opportunity, exponential opportunities to, pro- to provide better data to get the job done.
1: That's such a great delineation between making the data that you have more understandable versus creating more understanding by sourcing more data. That is important. I think there's a really important differentiator there actually for folks to think about as you dive into it. Yeah, no, another awesome point. These are great. So tell me then, like, what's the advice then do you have when you're trying to create these sort of dashboards? Because the trap I always find with these is that people start trying to get up on a whiteboard or they start prototyping them. All the screens look amazing. and there's... So what are your sort of tips about how people can get started with this in a simple way and then scale up over time?
0: I think the most unconventional approach I took was to start designing slide decks. So there were some very important meetings in the business that were still happening using a slide deck full of data because people feel in control of the data because they write the data, they don't come from a different source. So what we did was to take this slide deck and work alongside the owner and made make it better. We did this two, three times until we got to a point where everyone in the meeting really, really loved the information that we were bringing to the table because they found them useful to the conversation. And then once they loved the format, we showed them a dashboard that was very, very similar to what they were using. And at that point, the adoption was a no-brainer because we have worked with them on the format. And also it was already approved by the audience. And third, it didn't take, much time to prepare because the dashboard updates live, like while the slide deck took five, six, seven hours to prepare every two weeks for the meeting. So I think it was a very smart move to also think about the adoption of data. So basically making the data available is not enough. You have to think about the entire journey up to the adoption.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating, right, to hear you talk about, as well, like, the utility. Where is the output experienced? Right, I think is actually a really interesting way to design from, too, as well. Where are people going to view this information? What decisions are they making? What context are they in? What's the environment? How real time does it need to be? I think these are all, like, really fascinating design questions to be asking when you're thinking about the sort of data product and dashboard you're trying to build, right, and prototyping it for people where their mockups mock-ups or their slides or all these sort of fun ways that you're using these design thinking techniques of people to sort of really help them land. What was the most fun dashboard you built that you thought was going to be amazing and then it was a total disaster? It didn't work out.
0: I think all of them ended up to be a disaster in first iteration, but that's why you don't stop there. You keep going.
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Cool. Well, look, like, it's really fascinating to hear this. And thank you for sharing these stories about bringing in like design to the center of designing dashboards or data. I think it's really fascinating. And, and the techniques that you've been using around marketing and branding and user experience to actually apply them to internal tools, I think is a fascinating approach. And the framework you've created is fantastic. So really recommend people check it out. So looking forward, what are some of the other things then that you're working on that are sort of lighting you up at the moment as you start to either dig further into data or some of the fun things that you're doing in the other uh, creative pursuits that you have in the technology space.
0: Can I talk about the NFTs? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> NFT.
0: No, lately I'm having a lot of fun with the Web3 and I'm learning tons about unstructured people achieving incredible results. And it's very refreshing to see how hundreds of people can contribute to an outcome without being in meetings or and meeting each other very often.
1: Yeah, well, like for the listeners, right, like your corporate partnership advisor for Crypto Chicks, which is the first women-only NFT avatar collection, right, fabulous connection, got a lot of visibility. I think Twitter even changed their avatar to the Crypto Chicks at one stage during the launch. And, you know, you've been involved in this from the beginning. So tell people a little bit about what drew you to it and then what some of the surprises that you're learning along the way for being part of this.
0: The project went from move very quickly. For example, in six months, we, we reached like almost 40,000 followers on Twitter. And some of the people we work with are more than followers. They are creators and very active contributors because the way these work is that they own one chick from our collection and that chick, the value of those chicks goes up as the popularity of the project increases. So the idea is that we're all in this together. If the project succeeds, they will make revenue. And so there is a very interesting balance between the leadership team of the project, but also having to work daily with thousands of holders that in the normal business is what we would call shareholders. But then you have them all into a discord that is similar to a Slack channel, and they write to you daily and want update of where the business is going. It's incredibly transparent. And it's it's very difficult because they imagine you to make daily progress every day. But at the same time, if you need anything, you have thousands of people that want to help. Do you need uh, someone that can do 3D modeling? Do you need a connection in a luxury a retail brand? You very easily get what you want, if you ask.
1: For me, sort of shared passionate interest area, the way the world is changing, the way we're able to start bringing people together. Who you know, you may never have met before. You you won't know anything about them. Pretty much all you know is that they've got some sort of similar little avatar from a community that you believe in, and you're all working together to solve a problem. Whether they're 12 years old or they're 75-year-old, you have no idea. I think it's just a fascinating way about how the web is evolving, and no doubt you're going to be bringing more of your skills to bear. So I feel like we should have you back on the show in a couple of months' time to talk more about CryptoChicks and what's going on and how the project continues to evolve. I'm cheering you on. I think it's a great initiative. And a lot of the work that that whole community is doing is really fabulous. So keep it up. And thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your story about designing data and dashboards, but also a little hint about what else you're doing in the world of Web3 ahead of us.
0: Thank you, Barry.